from San Francisco, California with Ben Kaspik and Adam Petke. This is Covecast Audio. Welcome back to Covecast. It is Thursday, December 21st, 2017. We are coming to you uh, with some big news yesterday, the Giants acquired Evan Longoria from the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for one of their top prospects, Christian Arroyo, as well as Denard Span, Matt Crook, and Stephen Woods, two minor league relievers in Crook and Woods. I think it actually might be pronounced differently than Crook, but he's not a Giant anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. So, um, yeah, let's just get right into it. This is a big trade. This is, you know, expected that they were going to make some major moves. And I think this is the first of many potentially. And the general manager, actually actually the former general manager, now the uh, president of baseball operations, whatever his title is now, Brian Sabian was strongly hinting that this is the first of at least one and and probably multiple moves to come. And he actually hinted very strongly that the next move would be of equal or greater significance was basically what he was saying. And we will get into the speculation as to what exactly that means. The Giants have been strongly linked to Jay Bruce, who is a free agent. But for various reasons, to me, it doesn't seem like the most logical fit and I tend to think that is not going to be what ends up happening, but it, it definitely is a possibility. But before we get into that, let's talk about the trade that actually did happen. It, it uh, came through uh, yesterday, Wednesday morning, that the Giants were getting Longoria. And then, of course, the details come out that Christian Arroyo was involved and that the Rays are also taking Denard Span. And then later in the day, uh, actually, like right then, it was also revealed that the Rays were also sending cash to the Giants in the deal, and it took until later that night that the details of the cash going back to the Giants came out. And it turns out that the Rays are sending $14.5 million to the Giants in this deal to be paid out in, you know, $2.5 million annual installments starting in 2020 or something like that. I cannot remember the details and I don't think it's necessarily important to to go over the exact details. What's important about the details of the money is the ramifications in terms of the luxury tax, the CBT, and how that all plays out. And and what it ultimately is going how it's ultimately going to play out is that this is going to be a CBT neutral exchange, uh, with Denard Span being included. So it's uh it basically doesn't change anything from that perspective. And so the Giants got Evan Longoria. They basically just switched out Denard Span for Evan Longoria without changing their payroll status at all for 2018. And they're going to be able to, and they're, from what I've heard, they're, they're trying to get under that $197 million threshold because if, if you're a repeat offender, I believe if you do it four years in a row, the penalties are really, really extreme. And I do believe the Giants have been over that that figure for three years now, and they're trying to get under, as are all the teams in baseball, especially in uh, preparation for next year's free agent class that features some of the biggest names in the, in the game with uh, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Clayton Kershaw, Josh Donaldson, and others being in that class, especially with uh, Harper and Machado being in their mid twenties, basically, and they are going to hit the open market next off season. So teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees are highly motivated to get under that tax. So if they have to exceed it in future years by acquiring a guy like Machado or Harper, they won't face these extreme penalties on top of those mega deals that they're potentially going to be handing out to those guys next winter. And so, you know, quite frankly, the details of this CBT stuff is really important, but the uh, I'm not an expert, but I do know that $197 million is the threshold and that this deal with Longoria 
was shaped in such a way that it it did not add to the to the payroll in 2018 and in terms of how the CBT is calculated it it's about average annual value and they were able to bring down the AAV to the equivalent of what Denard Spans was and so it's it's CBT neutral as as uh, was the original report or not even report but statement from the general manager Bobby Evans so the the financial details are a bit complicated but what we really need to know is the status of Longoria's contract and what it means uh, for the Giants so so getting right into that he is guaranteed per his contract five years and 86 million dollars that's a five years guaranteed and then for the sixth year there's actually a five million dollar buyout and an option at uh let's find there's a a thirteen (laughs) dollar thirteen dollar thirteen million dollar team option in 2023 with a five million dollar buyout so you add that five million dollars to the guaranteed five years so it could be six years with 80 or like 90. Uh, math is hard when you're live on a podcast. It could be six years. The Giants will have a team option on that 2023 season. But if they were to buy it out, it's 80, what did I say? 86 million guaranteed. And then he also does receive $2 million whenever he is traded. And so obviously this is a trade. So you can add two more million dollars on top of that five years and 86 so it's five years 88 million dollars guaranteed but then of course you you subtract the contract of denard span which was one year left and 11 million i think and it also had a buyout of i think four million let me just pull that up denard span He's so old, I have a long way to scroll to get to the bottom of his player card or player page on Fangraphs. So he had uh, his his 2018 contract is for $9 million, and there's a mutual option with a $4 million buyout for 2019. So add that up, and that's $13 million. So you basically subtract the contract of Denard Span from the five years and $88 million that they're paying Longoria. And of course, Denard Span is not worth $0. He's worth something. So it's not like you can just completely subtract that and call it even. You have to account for the fact that Span was worth something. And, and so you only subtract so much. But it's definitely clear he wouldn't receive that much of a, that big of a contract on the open market. He's been a pretty major disappointment with the Giants I mean but they used him wrong and that's their own fault they let him play against lefties when he clearly didn't didn't have any business batting against left-handed pitching and they also played him in center where he had no business playing so with the Rays if he's even going to play at all for the Rays there's no doubt they're going to try to trade him at some point he will not play center he'll play a corner and he'll only bat against righties and in that case he might actually be a semi-useful platoon player but the point is they they shed themselves of that commitment to span which was I believe I just said 13 million for one year. I mean there is a mutual option for the next year but we're going to assume that that's not going to be picked up. You have to you have to add the buyout though. And then the Rays are sending 14 and a half million dollars cash that's paid out slowly over time. So when it's all said and done once you subtract the fourteen and a half million, because you don't really just subtract Span's contract to figure out what is Longoria owed by the Giants, you don't do that at all. So if you subtract that from his five years, eighty-eight million, it comes out to five years, more like seventy-two, seventy-three million, which has an AAV of let's just okay, so it's eighty-eight minus 14.5 which is 73 and a half over five years which is an AAV of 14.7 and I think there's some inequality in what's what they're sending with span or like what the Rays are taking on of span so I think the AAV might even be a little lower than that 
when it's all said and done, but it brings it down significantly. And they're on the hook for five years around $70 million for Evan Longoria, which is more or less what he might receive as a, if he were a free agent today. We can now get into what is this player even like. So Evan Longoria, as most of you I'm sure already know, was a superstar for the Tampa Bay Rays from pretty much the moment he showed up in 2008. And he has only hit less than 20 home runs once in his career since 2008. And that was in 2012 when he played 74 games. He did only hit 20 this year in 156 games. We'll get into his most recent season and the kind of red flags that it set off because it was his worst full season of his career pretty easily. Well, I guess actually 2014 was similar. But basically, this guy was a superstar. He was a very good offensive player and a very good defensive player at third base as well for the first several years of his career. In terms of if you're just going to look at Fangraph's wins above replacement, which isn't, I'm not saying it's some kind of precise measurement, but it, it gives you a good idea of the value of the player. First year, 122 games, put up five and a half win season. Second, Next two years, over seven wins above replacement. The year after that, over six. The year after that, he only played 74 games and he, you know, two wins above replacement in half a season. So another solid year when he was on the field. And then after that, another six win season. And then the last four, he has been 3.3, 4.1, 4.5, and then last year, 2.5. So again, we're not looking at this and putting all the weight in the world into war, but it it's a good general idea of, of the value of the player. And so what do we have here? We have a guy who was total superstar level up until 2013, but then the last one, two, three, four years, there has been a notable decline in the bat. This is a guy who who was way above average offensively, and you can pretty easily see that if you just look at weighted runs created plus, which has him anywhere from 30 to 50% better than than league average between 2008 and 2013. But then in 2014, he's 5% uh, above average. Next year, 10%. Year after that, 20%. And then last year, he's a little below average offensively. So there are some red flags in the offensive profile. But then when I dug a little deeper, I found some really interesting stuff. So first of all, if you follow me on Twitter, you've already kind of heard this before. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, you should. It's at cove underscore cast and this year he had a 312 weighted on base average in real life which is not good 312 you know weighted on base is one of the better offensive metrics you can use it it just weights all the different offensive outcomes appropriately so you give credit you give the proper weight and credit to a single versus a double versus a triple etc and 312 is not very good. It's also scaled to the league average on base percentage, which is around 325. So if it's 312, that means you're below average. And sure enough, his weighted runs created plus reflects that. And his expected weighted on base average, according to Baseball Savant, which uses StatCast data, i.e. launch angles and exit velocities, as well as walk rates and stuff, to project predict basically what your weighted on base average should have been. So it, this is a really good metric for determining if someone got lucky or unlucky. It could tell, was he hitting the ball really hard, but it, but they were getting caught? Or was he hitting the ball really poorly and they were they were falling in? Or was it about fair? And it looks like he was about fair with his 312 weighted on base. He had a 309 expected weighted on base, which is troubling. And that's 2017. So that's this most recent season. And in a minute, we'll get into the fact that there are weird changes to his batted ball data. Like he started hitting way more ground balls than he usually hits. And his contact contact rate was a career high and, and kind of a big spike over where it normally is. So the thing though is if we go back just one season before last year to 2016, he played 160 games. 
he had 36 home runs and he had a 350 weighted on base average, which is really good. It's not like MVP level, but you will definitely take a 350 weighted on base average and good defense at third base. And you, you add it all up and it's 4.5 wins above replacement, which is a very nice year. And so I looked at what was his expected weighted on base average that year, and it was 358. So he was he was even potentially a little worse than he should have been. So you you basically can say he maybe should have had a 360 weighted on base that year, which was tied with Justin Turner and just a couple of points below Bryce Harper and in the top 40 in all of baseball. So that was just two years ago. So if we're going to put a ton of weight into his 2017 performance and and the down year that he had, I don't think it's crazy to go, wait, but two years ago, what about this terrific performance he had? So to me, like instead of just thinking he declined that much over the course of one season, it seems more likely that there was some kind of injury going on, especially when you look at the the weird changes in the ground ball rate and the weird changes in the contact rate you know I'm not an expert here but as a former player in up through high school and then you know softball and stuff (laughs) that's obviously very very different than being a professional but if you have an injury like it's possible that you are better at making contact and then that contact just isn't very great because you're just kind of shortening your swing and poking at the ball instead of being able to able to drive it and when you're when you're able to take big swings, it does make more sense that you would make less contact because you're more likely to swing and miss. And that's what happened. He he made more contact than ever, and he hit more ground balls than ever. So maybe he just didn't have, uh, maybe his hip was bothering him. I I know that he had some some injury issues. And Matt Duffy answered some questions from reporters. You know, Duffy was traded to the Rays, so he's seen some of Evan Longoria, even though he's not been in the major leagues, Duffy, he's been like rehabbing his injury, but he's obviously seen some of Longoria recently. And Duffy pointed out that Longoria was quote banged up end quote uh, in the early part of the year. And if you look back at his month by month splits, he did really struggle in the first couple of months of the season, but then was really good in the middle. But then he also struggled towards the end. So I don't know exactly what's going on, of course, but I can't, I don't just see like a steady decline across the board. I see some up and down, you know, 2016 was fantastic. So if you're going to put stock in that, or if you're going to put stock in 2017, you also have to look at 2016 and wonder what went on there. And if you look at the uh, expected weighted on base average, it was no fluke. It wasn't like, yeah, he's just bad now. And he had one year where things just kind of went his way. No, he was elite at making solid contact the year prior. And so let's dig even further. Let's go back to 2015, three years ago, and see what happened then. And his actual weighted on base average in 2015, again, 160 games played, was just 327. So that's roughly league average. He hit 21 home runs. And I know it's not all about just home runs, but that's what he did. He hit 21 home runs, 327 weighted on base, 109 weighted runs created plus. So roughly average offensively, maybe a little above average, but he had a 338 expected weighted on base again, according to baseball savant. So 338 expected 327 actual. So an underperformance by about 10 points once again, just like in 2016, So if you add uh, 2015 and 2016 together, that's a 338 and then a 358. And if you average those two, it's it's obviously 348 over 2015 and 16. When in reality, the number the average of those two was more like um, 330. It's a 13 plus uh, 335 ish. No, I'm doing that wrong. Three. 40-ish. So regardless, the point is last year he deserved what he got, but the two previous years he was under, he, he deserved more than what he got. And so to me, there's just, uh, there's more to it than just saying this is what he is now. I think there, 
there's a real chance he is, you know, I think the projection has it relatively maybe spot on. I would maybe take the over on the 330 weighted on base projection, but slightly above average as a baseline projection to go along with solid defense and steamer uh, projections has him with three wins above replacement in 2018. So that's a big upgrade. It's not, you know, six and a half that you're going to get from Stanton if he plays a whole year, but now they have solid regulars across the infield with Longoria, Crawford, Panic, Belt, and Buster behind the plate. That is a really solid group. I mean, it's hard to ask for much more. The problem is that their outfield remains like completely terrible. And, the, you know, Hunter Pence, whether or not he can rebound is a, is a big question and a big deal. I don't know if they're even going to go into the season expecting him to be the starter. I anticipate that will happen because I don't see how they can add three more good players in the outfield. They don't have unlimited funds here, and they definitely don't have unlimited prospects to trade away. So at some point, you're either going to have to trade away what prospects you do have and spend money to push up against whatever your limit is. So I anticipate that Span, or excuse me, that Pence will be one of the starters and that they're going to add two more outfielders. And at least one of those outfielders is going to be a bat, like have impact offensively. And, and I think in center field, they're going to end up getting somebody who's an elite defensive player, whether it's Billy Hamilton or Jackie Bradley Jr. or somebody else. And we can talk about who makes more sense. And, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be hard. It's hard for me to see that happening because he is really good. So it's, it's, uh, He's really good and really cheap. And a lot of people like to talk about, oh, just they need a first baseman, which they don't anymore. They just got Mitch Moreland on a two-year deal, but he's not very good. So it's a little bit of a weird move. And it makes me think they're almost like guaranteed to now sign J.D. Martinez. But if they sign J.D. Martinez, who wants to play the outfield, and you already have Betts, Benintendi, and Jackie Bradley out there, and you know Benintendi is capable of playing center. I know Mookie has played some center as well then all of a sudden they're not going to trade bets and they're not going to trade Benintendi most likely. Bradley makes the most sense to go there. So it's possible they could line up with the Giants there. But but the thing about Bradley is he's about equivalent in terms of what, what you can expect from him in terms of overall value to what we get from Brandon Belt, which is roughly three wins above replacement. They both have a similar projection in that realm. But the difference is, Bradley is two years younger and is going to earn like $30 million less over the next three seasons than Belt will over the next four. So it just doesn't make any sense. If the money was equal, yeah, it might be a fair swap. But Bradley is just for the first time arbitration eligible. And I think he's projected to earn like $6 million in this first arbitration year for him. But Belt is earning $16 million a year, if I'm not mistaken. He's locked up for four years and 64 million dollars so yeah that's 16 million a year a big difference from where bradley is so that doesn't make any sense it, somebody on twitter can't remember exactly who it was hopefully you're listening because i'm going to give you credit for this except i should be able to remember your name but suggested that maybe the giants could eat half of of the of belt's contract and get jackie bradley and to me that that actually makes a little bit more sense because suddenly the money is equal and it's a need for a need. Although I'm not sure they any longer have a need with Mitch Moreland being signed to a two-year deal by the Red Sox. But, you know, the other problem with that is that Dave Dombrowski is not known as a guy who gets these kind of underrated, under-the-radar type of players like Belt. He likes to go after the big names like the Miguel Cabreras of the world and the Chris Sales of the world and the J.D. Martinez's. So I don't think Brandon Belt fits so much in Boston. And once they trade away Belt, you know, if they were to do that, then you're you're plugging a hole in center, but then you've created a hole at first base. And I don't think a team that really is pushing all their chips in to contend in 2018 has any business 
trading Brandon Belt and opening up a hole and just hoping that Chris Shaw can be good enough. Because what happens if Chris Shaw comes in and he just isn't good enough? Which, you know, there are major question marks about his defense. And then, of course, there's no guarantees about anybody's bat coming out of the minor leagues. And some of you might be thinking, they need to move Buster to first base. It's long overdue and catcher decline and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not going to happen. Posey is like the best. Probably you might be looking at a changing of the guard with who's the best catcher in the game with a guy out in New York by the name of Gary Sanchez. And there are some other interesting names there as well. But Buster provides so much value as a catcher. And if you move him to first base, there's a tremendous decline in what he offers to the team. Think about Joe Maurer. Like he's no longer an impact player, really. I mean, he's somebody, but moving Buster to first is is not a good idea. And the the whole thing about catchers declining more than non-catchers turns out to be not true if you look at the data. I know there's some people on Twitter who have argued with me about this and that like Pudge Rodriguez is the reason the data is saying that because he skewed it by taking steroids. I don't know, man. Like I don't I don't think you can just say that one guy skewed decades worth of data. But catcher decline tends to actually be very similar, you know, catcher offensive decline tends to not be any different than non-catcher decline. So, let's just remember that and not overreact and think they have to get Buster out from behind the plate. I know he has de- like his power has gone down and he's hitting more like in the realm of 10 to 15 home runs a year when he used to get up towards 20. But so be it. He's still a well above average offensive player and a good catcher. I know there's been some some concerning signs with his framing data and I'll I'll be the first to admit I'm not the biggest expert on the framing data and like how reliable it is year to year but he's not far removed from being considered like the best framer or one of the very best framers. So, you know, I don't necessarily buy that overnight he became like the worst from being the best, but we'll have to see what happens there. But no, moving Posey to first and Hunley being the catcher who they did just re-sign to a one-year $2.5 million deal, whoop-de-doo, is not a good idea. And I just... They've never indicated that that's the plan and and it will continue to not be the plan. And no, they're not dumb for doing that. They're smart for keeping Buster behind the plate. So stop suggesting that. It's not a good idea. And so that's why I don't think Belt is going to move. And I mean, it's definitely possible if this team goes into 2018 and it's the same story again and they're clearly a below 500 team again, then all of a sudden you do start entertaining all different kinds of scenarios where you're trading Belt or you're trading Bumgarner or something like that because Posey and Crawford have full no trade clauses so that's going to be you know if assuming the worst like not I'm not I'm not assuming that's going to happen but uh if that happens where the team just isn't good anymore yeah uh Posey and Crawford have full no trade clauses and Belt has a partial limited no trade clause where he each November 1st picks 10 teams that he can block a trade to for the upcoming year. And so he's already done that for 2018. Maybe the Red Sox are on there. We don't even know. So that's if they're bad, that's when you start to consider trading Uh, Belt or Bumgarner or maybe Samarja who also has a limited no trade he has 10 teams that he can be traded to Boston Chicago Mets Yankees Angels Dodgers A's and Nationals so I just don't see that happening for Jackie Bradley we kind of went on a tangent there I think more likely is Billy Hamilton we've seen his name a lot the Giants appear to be actually interested, but the asking price was too high. Eventually, you might see that come down because Hamilton's not that great of a player. He's a game-changing defender and base runner, but he's got a very troublesome bat. And he, I think he's, he's at an average regular, um, at least, probably. And 
he provides them with some defense. And if they're going to go out there with Pence in the outfield and maybe like a Jay Bruce in the outfield, there's no question they need a great defensive player in center because they've talked about improving their defense, but Pence and Bruce is not exactly a great defensive corner outfield situation. So if that was the case, you definitely need to go out and get an elite defensive center fielder. At least I would expect that they would based on everything they've said about this year needing to improve the defense and getting younger, which is another reason why I don't think Jay Bruce necessarily fits because obviously Longoria doesn't fit in terms of them getting younger. So if that's not going to happen, I mean, if that is the case, which it is that they acquired Longoria, then if they actually want to get younger and get more athletic and get better defense, then they only really have two other chances to do it unless they're adding three outfielders, which again, I don't think they're going to do. So that is why on top of the fact that Jay Bruce's agent went on local radio KNBR yesterday and basically pitched his client to the Bay area and said, Bruce would love to play for the giants. If given the opportunity, uh, that to me says, you know, they're hoping the giants come knocking, but it doesn't really say to me that the giants are all over Jay Bruce. I mean, maybe there's, there might not, I think like some of these expectations for the contracts are overblown and that's, it's not even a, I think anymore, like Scott Boris, you know, expecting $200 million for JD Martinez and all this Hosmer talk for $175 million and Jay Bruce wanted like $90 million over five years. I think that ultimately, I mean, it's December 21st and so many of the free agents have yet to sign. Ultimately, you're going to see these prices come way down and maybe, you know, Jay Bruce, uh, what's this giants potential GPT on Twitter, uh, was suggesting that Jay Bruce at two years, 20 million or three 32 or three, three or something like that was fair and that he would take Bruce on that kind of deal, but not at like a four year, $80 million or $75 million or something. And I tend to agree with that. Like Jay Bruce might be a nice option, but not at the, some of the prices we've seen. So the fact that his agents coming on KNBR and talking about how Bruce would love to play for the giants, if given the chance tells me the giants are not out there just like trying to overspend for Jay Bruce. Cause then it probably would have been done by now. And there there's no reason their agent would go on the radio. His agent would go on the radio and pitch the client basically. So I was, consistently saying how Evan Longoria made a lot of sense. And I thought the giants might realistically actually do that trade and it happened. And now I'm saying, I don't really know if I believe the Jay Bruce thing is that probable. I think it's, it's definitely possible because he would anyone who is average even is a huge upgrade over what they had last year and I think Bruce is in the realm of average to slightly above average as a player in the outfield. His defense is a little underrated. He's had some injuries in the past, but the last couple of years have been pretty good in terms of defense and in terms of the bat. And he's he's undergone some swing change philosophy. He's crouched down more at the plate. And he's had some a couple of really nice offensive seasons to go along with average outfield defense. And, you know, the problem is he's 30. And I just don't see how that's them getting younger, getting more athletic, getting more defense oriented. And so I, and the fact that nothing has happened yet. And the fact that the, you know, Sabian went on, on the, the conference call after acquiring Longoria and seemed apparently giddy and trying to contain his excitement about how the move for Longoria set them up to make another deal of equal significance I'm just not sure they're they're that excited about Jay Bruce, but you know who they might be excited about is someone like Christian Yelich because the the thing about Yelich is he's he's like a grand prize. He is a highly coveted piece given his talent, age, and team friendly contract. So Christian Yelich is. Let me look. 
Krish, <laughs> can't spell right now. Christian Yelich. He is only 26. He just turned 26 in December, a couple days ago. And he is signed for another five years, 2018, 19, 20, 21, four years guaranteed for, I think it's like 44 million guaranteed with a 2022 team option for 15 million. So it could be five years and about 55-ish million, 55, 60, but it also could be four years, 44-ish. And he's only, what did I say, 26 years old. So you're getting him for his, his, even before his prime and at an extremely team-friendly rate so and and the thing is he apparently wants to meet with the Marlins front office and is unhappy as is totally understandable. The team had a great outfield with Stanton and Ozuna and Yelich and Ozuna and Stanton are gone and they already had a miserable pitching staff and their infield is nothing special but D Gordon is also gone. So the Marlins are going to be really bad and they're clearly just tearing it down and it would be totally awful to be a Marlins fan at this point in time. But, you know, so it is. And Christian Yelich wants to be traded, apparently, which is totally understandable. And if the Marlins really are interested in just shedding payroll, which seems to be their motivation from everything I've read, then they have a couple more big contracts that there's no doubt they would like to move. And those contracts are for Martin Prado and Wei-Yin Chen. So Prado is owed like two years, 30 million approximately, and Chen is more like three years, 60 million approximately. So the fact that the Giants went to the media yesterday and said that this move for Longoria in which the money came out equal to Denard Spann's money basically for this year gives them to me and and they were saying that it it sets them up for their next move beautifully and to me it could mean a move like acquiring Christian Yelich while taking on some dead money from the Marlins for either Wei Yin Chen or Martin Prado and the issue there is that the details are important because if you take on the entirety of Wei Yin Chen's contract, that is probably too much because then you're paying about $20 million a year for a guy who's totally worthless. And he's having arm problems, and when he's on the field, he's been really ineffective. So that would mean about $20 million to Chen in 2018, and then you add Yelich, who only gets $7 million in 2018, unbelievably. So that's just $27 million dollars. I mean, that's a lot. It's, I'm not saying that's just 27. So that's $27 million and you're basically getting Yelich. And you have to take into account the other years as well. But So maybe not the whole contract, but if you're willing to take on more than anybody else, to me, it seems that a deal could be done. Unless, which this is entirely possible too, the Marlins are mo- more interested in getting the best possible return that they can get for Yelich because if they just shop Yelich alone with that contract, they can basically take their pick of any prospect in the game that that they that they could get. If any you know anybody they deal with, if they're dangling Yelich, you have to give them your number one prospect in return for that player at that contract. And so the Giants don't have that. I mean, Christian Arroyo, we might not get into him, and I want to. I want to mention that he was, of course, in the Evan Longoria trade, and he's from the Tampa area, and so is Denard Spann. And I know Arroyo grew up a Rays fan. So tip of the hat to the Giants for making the players in the deal the most comfortable that they could be by going to the area they're from, and at least in Arroyo's case, going to the team he grew up rooting for and getting traded for the best player in franchise history is a pretty cool thing for Arroyo, I'm sure. And Arroyo... I always had high ho- high hopes for Arroyo, and, and I've said many times that I thought that he could be the equivalent of Panic at least, and that it might make more sense to trade Panic, but obviously the Rays would prefer Arroyo because of how many years they can control him, and the fact that he's 
obviously pre-arbitration eligible. He's much cheaper for now. But there's upside with the bat of Arroyo. He's he's expected by many scouts and analysts to hit very well um, in terms of average. And there's power potential in the bat. And in his brief stint in the in the majors, he didn't do very well ultimately, but you definitely saw that there was a major leaguer in there somewhere, and he just needed to make some changes to his approach, and you could see that there's potential there. He's only 22 years old, I believe. So it's sad to see him go, and who knows how it'll turn out. But I just wanted to mention Arroyo and hopefully not just never talk about him again. Maybe at one point we'll be able to talk more about him at length. But... He uh, he's an interesting player, one of the Giants' top prospects, if not their top prospect, before Elliot Ramos. And I figured out that is how you pronounce it. It's pronounced Elliot, and even though it's spelled H-E-L-I-O-T. So there he goes. I don't know what exactly we were talking about. We were talking about uh, Yelich and... I don't know. I just think the Marlins money is talking for them right now. Like the the deal they had in place for Stanton was Span, Beatty, and Aramis Garcia, the catching prospect on the Giants, for Stanton at only two hundred and thirty million. So the Marlins were willing to take on like sixty five million dollars of the contract and Denard Span for just Beatty and Garcia. And yes, it was like a 10-year deal, but if you're talking about Yelich and you're not giving making them take span, then if they include whether it's Prado alone for Yel Prado and Yelich, and then the Giants give up maybe a Beatty and Garcia again, although I I am now thinking Beatty is less likely to be moved now that Matt Moore has been traded to the Rangers which we didn't talk much about, but it's a win for the Giants because they could have just not um, exercised his option, which a lot of fans, including myself, were kind of skeptical about the fact that that they picked up that option because he was really, really bad in 2017. But they ended up trading the entire contract to the Rangers and getting two moderately interesting uh, bullpen pitching prospects. Which, by the way, I don't think it's any coincidence that the they gave up two minor league relief pitcher prospects in the Rays deal. So they basically lost two but added two. Maybe they liked the two they got more than the two they traded. Who knows? But they got something for Matt Moore when if they had just not exercised the option, they would have gotten nothing. So that's a win for them, and I give them credit and wish Matt Moore good luck. He seemed like a very quality person but the the results weren't there I've never I don't I'm not one of these people who five years after they were top prospects still believes in a guy when the performance on the field just hasn't been there I don't I think you know more or less he is what he is now and that's just adequate at best but but clearly the potential for being even worse than that was there so he's gone you know, they saved that money, which they could have just saved by not picking up the option, which was weird that all the reporters and stuff were giving them credit for saving the money. But like they didn't have to spend that money. They just chose to a couple months ago. But they also get the relievers in the deal, which is what makes it worth it that they did pick up the option. So anyway, I think I don't know exactly what the Marlins are interested in here, but if the Giants I'm pretty sure that it would be hard for Christian Yelich not to be your top priority if you think it's conceivable that you could get him without giving up, you know, Elliot Ramos and Tyler Beatty or Tyler Beatty. So I don't know if that's possible, but again, if they take on Chen's whole contract, that's $27 million in 2018. And then Chen, you know, is owed another twenty million in twenty nineteen, plus it's ten million for Yelich. So then that's thirty million in twenty nineteen. And then another twenty million for Chen in twenty twenty, plus twelve and a half for Yelich, that's thirty-two. So that's too much. So just just taking on those two guys and not giving them anything in return might be an overpay. And plus, if the Giants really only have about twenty-one million to spend in uh, 
additions for 2018 before hitting the $197 million threshold, <clears throat> then obviously 27 is too much. So if they can keep it to about 20, which would be maybe taking on 13 million from Chen this year. So that would be, if you play that out over the whole contract, that's uh, 39 million, three years, 39 million for Chen plus getting the Yelich deal. Maybe that's doable, or maybe you take on half and also Prado. I have no idea how exactly the details would work out. I'd have to get a you know spreadsheet open or a pen and paper and kind of hammer it out because they need more than just Yelich. So I'm not sure that getting up to 20 million with one deal where you're only getting one outfielder is enough because they need to add more. I mean, it's possible they could just go with Duggar in center field, but I just don't think that's going to happen. They could have, they could just maybe sign an Austin Jackson or somebody who I'd have to look closer, but you know, Gerard Dyson for, to a cheap deal and then, you know, Yelich and call it an off season, but they, I know they also want to address the bullpen so who knows? I just think that this Jay Bruce stuff may be a little overhyped and I just can't see them getting as excited as they seem to be about what could be next and how the Longoria deal set them up for what could be next. So to me, they understand that everybody is aging on their roster and they need to get younger and they need to get more athletic and they need to get better defense. And I'm just not sure Jay Bruce fits that mold, nor does J.D. Martinez... You know, Jackie Bradley does, but I just don't see them lining up in a trade with the Red Sox there because that would take a lot. So if it's maybe like you you do what you can to get Yelich and understand that he's a core player at 26 years old and he's a franchise-altering player, and then you just patch together center field with just focusing on defense, maybe it's a cheap free agent like Dyson or Jackson, and then you hope to introduce Duggar into the mix and that he can take over there. Then you do have your, your young star player that, that helps you avoid a monumental collapse into the, you know, into about 2020 when everybody who's on your team and locked up is well over 30 and owed a ton of money. And you're committing like $120 million to these guys who are 33, 34, 35 and then you're in a really dangerous position. But if you get Yelich on that kind of deal, then you're in pretty good shape. And you can always turn around and trade Yelich on that deal if if the team is just miserable and they understand that they need to retool. And then you can also, and I think this point gets lost or doesn't get mentioned enough, but if they're bad, and I did mention it with Belt and uh, Samarja, who else did I say? Belt and Bumgarner. But if they're bad next year and or the year after that, that's you can if they get another monster season, even if it's just one year out of Longoria, then you can probably trade him again. So this I mean, this guy, like I said, two years ago in 2016, had a monster year with the 350 on uh, weighted on base, 358 weighted uh, expected weighted on base, 36 home runs, good defense. If he could just have another year like that, it's not like he's 38 years old. He's 32. Let's not like let's not act like 32 is the new 38. He's not that old, and he's had some really good seasons not long ago. You know, notably two years ago. Then, if if the team's not doing well, you can potentially trade him again, and you can try to trade a belt and a Samarja and Bumgarner. So. I'm not convinced, you know, if things don't work out like some people expect, I'm not convinced that they're totally in a terrible, terrible position because they can make the decision to sell at that point. It was never going to happen where this offseason they were going to just sell. They've been very clear about that. And so if you're going to go for it in 2018, you might as well go for it. So I have no problem at all with them getting Evan Longoria especially when the terms have come out that they're 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 getting cash back and the raise took span and we don't know if Christian Arroyo is even going to be any good. So I have no problem with that deal at all. If Christian Arroyo turns out to be really good, then say la vie. I mean, this is the one of those things where 5 years from now people could be looking back and 
burying the Giants front office for this trade, but you kind of have to judge it by how did it look at the time. And at the time, they're going for it. They're not tearing it down. There's definitely a case to be made that it's not the wisest move in the world. That's for for sure. But, you know, cr- give them credit. They're trying to go for it. They're trying to get back. Fangraphs has the Giants projected at 81 and 81 with Longoria. So if you can get a Yelich and a good defensive center fielder and upgrade the bullpen, and I know that's a long shot, but even if it's Jay Bruce and Billy Hamilton and a couple bullpen arms, they're definitely in the mix for, for a wild card spot. And, you know, plus or minus 10 wins happens in baseball projections all the time. So if you're projected at 85 wins and the, the Dodgers are at 95, you know, you can catch them. I mean, if, if everything goes right and some stuff goes wrong for them, you can catch them. So they've snuck into the wild card game before and won the World Series that way. So I don't blame them one bit for, for not wanting to give up when they, they, they think they can get back into that mid-80s win range. So we shall see what they do. Uh, I think a lot more is to come, and it could happen soon. It could happen today could happen tomorrow I, I feel like teams usually like to get a lot of their heavy lifting done before Christmas and this offseason has been really weird where that hasn't exactly happened yet for a lot of teams so you know it felt like something was going to happen this week and it did with Longoria and it could definitely continue to happen as the week moves on so we shall see I will be back with whatever happens I fully anticipate at least two more moves probably more than that and we will be back to cover it. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Covecast. Uh, it has been really fun. And until then, we will see you next time. <laughs>